0: Coaches Corner Chats would like to thank Fearless and Capable for supporting the podcast. Visit FearlessAndCapable.com. Hey, this is Karen. Coaches Corner Chats, and on the episode, I have Ali Hanif. Ali, where are you at and what are you up to?
1: So right now I'm in Bloomington, Illinois, and uh, I'm currently the assistant coach with Illinois State University at so NC MC- double-A division one women's program.
0: And is this your, your first college experience?
1: No, this is my second college experience. Um, I was with Mid-American Nazarene, um, an NIA program in Kansas City uh, for a couple of years before I took this full-time position here uh, last summer.
0: So first question that comes up is the accent is not Midwestern. So where were you born and raised?
1: So I was born in Manchester uh, in England um, and I am a Manchester United fan, born and bred. Uh, my mom's house is about a mile away from the stadium. Um, so I've grown up around being a Manchester United fan my whole life. And then I started coming to the States in 2012. Um, over the last close to 10 years, it's kind of gradually become more permanent. Um, and you know I met my wife here. Um, who's um a nurse? Um and yes, things are kind of snowballed after a couple of years and ended up me making my life out here versus back in England.
0: What was the impetus to come to the states in the first place?
1: Um, a bit of a push um by um one of my old coaches, um John, and he basically said you've got the summer off from uh, regular coaching and school and stuff. And why not go out to the States and and kind of try things out there and see what it's like. And I was like, sure, why not? Um, and I came out with a company called challenger sports. Um, they're the largest soccer camp company in the U S and they've been around a long time. I'd say quite a lot of the British coaches who are now full-time in the, in the U S most of them have come through challenger sports one way or another. Um, But yeah, so came out with Challenger. My first summer, when you kind of come out for your first summer contract, um, they randomly assign you to a region. And I got assigned to the head office region in Kansas City. So I did not know where Kansas City was. Um, My first soccer camp ever ever was in um, a small town called Nevada in Iowa. And when I first got the contract a couple of weeks before leaving, I thought Nevada was in Nevada Las Vegas, not Nevada, Iowa. So <laughs> I didn't realize that until I actually got out here and I was like, oh, okay, I'm not in Vegas. I'm in Kansas City, first of all, and then drove up to Nevada, Iowa, and I had my first American experience uh, among the cornfields in Iowa, and uh, that's how it kind of started.
0: What was that um, kind of culture yeah. shock of going from the hustle and bustle of Manchester to... Yeah big open plains and cows and what have you
1: different um didn't quite i, I hadn't used sunscreen a lot before then so my first week <laughs> it, was, it was like the first week of june 2012 it was like 104 that week or something like that it was crazy and i got sunburned real bad um, that first uh, couple of days so that was fun um it was just different um the way people talked um food interactions midwestern people kind of stereotypically everyone's nice which is definitely different from a city life um but yeah it was a definitely a culture shock that took me a couple of weeks to get used to
0: growing up in manchester <laughs> was soccer something that was just part of your livelihood right from being even this ty- a small little tyke running around
1: no, actually, so soccer is around you no matter what you do. In In England, in Manchester especially, it's just it's just there. Um, I wasn't interested in soccer uh, until I was about 14. Um, I played a bit of basketball. I was tall-ish, and I played a bit of basketball, and that's kind of it. My family were not interested in me participating in sports, and that was a culture thing, Um And then I had my PE teacher at school, in high school. Um, One day, just kind of pushed me into goal and gave me some gloves. And he was a goalkeeper. And uh, his name was Mark Evans. And he just said, hey, try it out. see what happens. And I kind of just fell into being a goalkeeper and kind of fell into playing soccer and uh, just kind of snowballed from there, really.
0: What was the reaction of your family, like parents and what have you, when you started to kind of get that, like, the soccer goalkeeper bug and start doing it more and more.
1: (laughs) Didn't go down well when I turned 15 and broke my wrist. Um, So my mom wasn't a fan of uh, breaking any body parts. Uh, (laughs) That wasn't, wasn't great. Um, It took a while. I'll be super honest. So from a cultural background, being being Pakistani and my family being Pakistani, it was uh, definitely a culture shift because traditionally, like if you're a Pakistani Indian South Asian, um, you don't really touch soccer, uh, football. You don't really touch it. Um, it's kind of you, you know, focus on um getting a degree and being a stereotypically becoming a doctor or becoming a psychologist or a lawyer or something in those realms. And going into sport isn't really a thing. and so it took a little while. Um, I was playing and I was enjoying it and I was playing at a good level and I was playing for. Club playing for college it was it, you know it was going pretty well and then um, at the end of my f- so just a little background sc- um, school in England works a little bit differently. so you're in high school from 11 to 16, and then you're in college from 16 to 18, and then you start university at 19 18, 19. So in college, what you do is you know typically at high school right you'll do a bunch of subjects um, like generics or mathematics, English history, law, you know, whatever. When you get to college, you kind of hone down to four subjects and that helps inform what degree you're going to pursue. Hmm. Um, In my opinion, it's a better way, but, you know, that's just my opinion. (laughs) Um, It helps you kind of zone in a bit more to what you want to pursue in your degree. Um, So I started off my first year of college with English literature, law, history, and classic civilizations, which is basically... um, Greek mythology and stuff like that, and at the end of my first year, I kind of figured out I did not enjoy it. It wasn't fun, um, and so very quietly, I changed my subjects to um, pursue sport and coaching and sports psychology and anatomy, etc., without telling my mom. So my mom found out six months into me actually kind of getting started that I'd actually like done all of this without telling her that i changed everything and kind of changed the plan. Um, and I wanted to pursue sports in general, and I just got into coaching at 16, and um, it was just becoming a more of a pathway for me, and I thought, hey, like, I want to try this out, I want to see if this works, and I enjoy being fully invested in this, so that's what I decided to do. Uh, my mom's support came along a little bit later.
0: I, I love the fact that um, you kind of took that fork in the road and pursued kind of what you wanted, knowing kind of yeah. the culture and all that stuff behind it. Yeah. Um, the other thing was, um, so at what age, at what point do you, it does the decision to go from coaching and stuff in Manchester in that area become let's start looking over to, at the U.S.?
1: Um, so my background, I I was very lucky in my start to coaching. So I was in, I was involved in Manchester United um with their programs with their community programs um i was playing soccer around them and, and a bunch of other stuff was going on so they kind of get they kind of helped me get the lead into coaching so i was very fortunate that um i'm very lucky that i had all these um mentors resources and a professional club behind me versus other people that might get their start into coaching which might be a little bit different so um it was a lot easier for me to kind of start thinking about what I wanted to pursue, how I wanted to look. Um, and being around a professional environment with Manchester United and kind of all the facets of the club. Um, I slowly kind of started to learn that this is great. It's amazing to be around a professional team. It's amazing to be around, um, you know, being in the same places like Wayne Rooney and Ronaldo there at the time and, and Van Edwin Van Nassau and, and, and all these great, great players um, and fantastic coaches um, in the academy, um, in the community departments, just great people. And I kind of started to learn that after my first summer in the States, I wasn't going to get the freedom to do what I felt like I wanted to do as a coach and explore as a coach in that environment. It just wasn't because Manchester United is an historic club, done things a certain way for a really long time. And I have just felt personally that my freedom was limited in that space as a coach. And I wanted to kind of try my own thing out and pursue my own space to make mistakes without um, feeling like I had to do things a certain way. I wanted to have the freedom to try things out and make mistakes and and kind of find my own methodology, et cetera.
0: How, how impactful was that experience of being at Manchester? I mean, what were some of the things... That you took away from that experience, not one that the idea of I need more freedom type of thing. But what were some of the things that you took away and said when I go to wherever it is, states or back home, that I want to continue to take from that? Because you like talk about professional, huge club, tons of success. What were some of the things that you pulled away from that that you said those are really cool and I want to continue to use those in my coaching career?
1: Um, I'll give you the very first thing that sticks in my head. Um. John Shields, who's the head of the Manchester United Foundation, um, who's also a big mentor of mine. Um, he actually just um, just got a uh, an MBE from the Queen um, for services to to football. Um, so shout out to John. Um, but he basically tells me all the time, if you're not ten minutes early, you're already ten minutes late, and um, I live by that. So my mom says it all the time to me now because I said <laughs> it so much at home. So um, it, kind of a little thing. Um, I am really adamant on having everything ready for a session before anybody turns up. Um, my kind of focusing, how I structure my sessions, how I build them, what the setup is like, et cetera, all kind of stems from that kind of little piece in my head I've always been early and always been ready and always been prepared. Um, that's always been in my head and that's kind of how my head works. Um, the other pieces pursuing the excellence and pursuing to be better all the time, pursuing to um, try and do the best of everything that you've got and, and, and how you go about it and, and making it as professional as it seems, regardless of, you know, people say that if you're working at rec soccer, for example, it's rec soccer, like why would you plan sessions? Why would you um, have everything ready? Why would you, you know what I mean? Just a little kind of tidbits little bits that kind of people kind of just go with emotion sometimes for me it was always no matter what level I was working at who I was working with everything had to be set up in a professional manner um whether I'm working with three roles which I spent a fair amount of time doing um or working with professional athletes NWSL players MLS players uh, it doesn't matter who I'm working with like I want to make sure that um everything was professional so that's another piece that I kind of took away from that environment (laughs)
0: When you were over in the States and you're doing the challenger type thing, what was, what was the transition from, like, what was the next step? Like after challenger, what was your next kind of experience with American soccer?
1: Um, So I got into, I was working with challenger doing soccer camps. So that was 2012, 2014, 2015, 2016. I wanted to try and start dipping my toe outside of the camp scene Um, which is predominantly what Challenge is known for. So got into coaching teams, working with some rec teams, um, getting into the club scene in Kansas City. And I don't know how much you know about Kansas City, but there is a a, a high volume of of, of very well-run clubs in the Kansas City area. Um, And to a lot of people, Kansas City is the capital of soccer in the US because it's a heartland. um, It's the middle of the country. It is booming with clubs, facilities, the U.S. National Training Center, Sporting Kansas City being one of the first clubs to have a um, soccer-specific stadium, the NWSL team now. So it's a booming metropolis of soccer. So um, I, di- I started dipping my toes into um, club scene, private sessions, um, being around college players, um, working in the WPSL, working with NWSL players, Um I just started to kind of figure out where I might fit in with that or what did I want to push to pursue. Um, working with ODP, um, working with the different levels of college um, and working with the competitive clubs as well, ECNL, um, et cetera, kind of decided to go into those realms a little bit.
0: What does – you used the word dipping. How, yeah. how does one dip into – like how do you go about – Connecting with college players or being part of ECNL or some of these clubs, did you just kind of reach out? Did what were some of the ways that you put yourself in those opportunities?
1: Um one of the things for me was I think understanding the value of time. Um, and with that, before I kind of before I started getting paid at Manchester United to coach, I had to do so many hours of volunteering um to like meet thresholds and this was a new program that they were launching so with that in under two years I did 750 hours of volunteering whilst while I was still at school because I kind of found out the fact that if I really wanted to be all in I was going to be all in no matter what that meant so for me it was the same I kind of applied that to everything else I do so people have asked me over the years I you know I end up doing quite a few things, and, and people ask me why or how I'm managing to do multiple pieces. For me, it was always been cognitive of what I was getting my hands onto or what I was stepping into, and understanding that I had to be able to fully apply myself to that area, um, and been happy that I could fully apply myself to that area. So I started off just talking to people, networking, um, giving up my free time when it was available to just help. And that kind of just led to things. So, for example, um, when I started with the WPSL team in 2017 with Hugh Williams, who's quite a big figure in Kansas City as a coach, he was the general manager of the FC Kansas City team and, and he's been coaching in Kansas City for 30 years or something like that. Um, he got me involved with the WPSL team through Derek Shaw, who was the assistant at KU, um, and he was also the vice president of Challenger. Um they got me involved in the WPSL team and that was voluntary. So they were like, hey, you know, make it down when you can. It's just during the summer, come down like, you know, one night a week and they were training four nights a week. And I was there every single night um, because I wanted to make sure that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it properly. And at the end of the 2018 season, she would just taken over the local club um, FC Kansas City and moved to Utah and the youth club of FC Kansas City had was staying in Kansas City. So it was quite a large youth club. So Hugh took over the club and came to me and said, hey, I'm looking for someone to come in to be the lead goalkeeper coach. And he'd been around me for the last two years, knew I could coach goalkeepers, knew my experience. So he took a shot on me and said, hey, let, let's do this. So that me giving time gave an opportunity for someone else to give me time And led to opportunities for me to build my resume, build my methodology, build the opportunity to impact more goalkeepers. And, you know, in under the the four years I had the role, I ended up becoming officially becoming the director of goalkeeping. Um, We went from, you know, having 10 to 20 goalkeepers a week, going up to 75 goalkeepers a week. Um, And that went from me doing it on my own to having three goalkeeper coaches working for me. So I'm kind of building this um, consistency of providing quality goalkeeper coaching for these club goalkeepers that under, under no cost to them, um, instead of them having to maybe go and pay private lessons or go and pay fees to a goalkeeping school, even though that the local goalkeeping school, a big shout out to Andy Grunenbaum, ex-MLS goalkeeper, He runs Union 30 goalkeeping in Kansas City, who's a good friend of mine, and in my opinion, a fantastic coach. Um, He had a lot of goalkeepers that I was working with and vice versa. Um, But for him, it was a big value for money. Like he wanted to make sure goalkeepers, if they're paying to get extra training, they're getting good coaching um, and good development. So Andy's done a phenomenal job in Kansas City over the years to develop so many good goalkeepers. Um, But yeah, for me, it was just giving kids value for that and giving them an opportunity to develop where it's an underserving part of most clubs Um, over the last 10 years, I think is grown, but for a lot of clubs, even ECNL clubs, GA clubs, whatever you want to call them. um, Still a lot of them around the country don't have dedicated goalkeeper coaches because the way a lot of clubs look at it is if you have someone who's dedicated to being a goalkeeper coach and they're not coaching a team, that team's the one that's bringing in the money to pay that coach. So if you're paying a goalkeeper coach to just do goalkeeping, that money's coming directly out of the club's pocket. It's not coming from a team of players paying money towards actually funding that role. So um, fortunately it's changed. Clubs are more, um, are more thoughtful and more um, pushing on having someone in that dedicated role to help develop the goalkeepers in the club. And it's a big value for kids looking for a club that they want to be somewhere where they're going to have that parents are going to have that value for their money. They're going to get a specific training for that position. One so, of the yeah. things
0: that I loved about what you said was talking about the other goalkeeper coach and how you were sharing players. And you seem really, um, you think highly of him and vice versa. How yeah. how big has that been for your experience? Is, is it what they call the goalkeeper union? Is it really like keepers always have each other's back um, type of thing? Yeah. Or is that something you found just in terms of just coaching that guy, girl, women, and men are always willing to help out and give each other support.
1: For the most part, I think I don't think there's any facet of the soccer community or any other community where everyone's always willing to help. But I think networking, getting understanding with people, is super important. Um, me and Andy um, just kind of met through happenstance, and we and we got talking, and slowly over the years, it kind of built into a good relationship where. <laughs> If he had my club goalkeepers were working with him privately as well. We would converse constantly about how their development was going, what each of us needed to do to help that goalkeeper, um, how we could try and stay on the same length, on the same wavelength as much as we could, so that it wasn't um, two completely different pieces of information. Because mm. that can happen with goalkeeper coaching. That one goalkeeper coach works one very specific way, and another one works a very um, different way. So you don't want to confuse the goalkeeper. Um, and then it's just a, a respect thing as well, but also just a, uh, an understanding and communication was super important. Um, Andy will laugh about this, but you know, a fair few times, me and him ended up in his driveway talking for two hours straight, arguing over um, positioning or arguing over hand positioning and, and 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 just different things we had different opinions on. Um, so that was always a fun thing to be able to do. Um, the other piece to that is the goalkeeper union. As such, like I'm part of uh, the United Goalkeeping Alliance, which is a group of goalkeeper coaches, um, which is always growing, uh, run by Eric Eisenhert, who's based out of um, Pennsylvania. Um, We're a group of goalkeeper coaches from all across the United States and Europe and the world, really now, who kind of pull ideas, pull roles, pull um, recruitment. Um, pull um goalkeeping education to as many people as we can because unfortunately goalkeeping education in a formal sense isn't really apparent in the u.s right now um and i'll give you an example u.s soccer doesn't have an official goalkeeping license right now they haven't had an official goalkeeping license i think in close to six or seven years now um i heard that they were building one I just don't know where that's at right now. I don't think anyone really does right now where that's at. Uh, United soccer coaches have goalkeeping licenses. Um, in my opinion, they're, they're too far and few between. Um, they're just not done regularly enough. And I think that might be to do with need. It might be to do with you know funding. There's a lot of different things that go into that. Um, so formal goalkeeping education is really difficult to come by. So a lot of goalkeeper coaches will pull their way out of that and decide that I'm right now um in the middle of my UEFA B goalkeeping license with the Scottish um football association. Um but it's expensive. Doing a license with a foreign um football association is expensive because the license fees obviously higher. Um, you typically will have to travel to that country to finish off the license. So you know flights, hotels gets expensive. So formal education is difficult and then you'll get cowboy goalkeeper coaches is one way to put it I suppose but you know it's one of those things that if you've played the position you definitely have a good idea of what it takes um but being able to coach the position and get very technical get very detailed think about the tactical repercussions and uh, the psychological element of it as well is really difficult to be able to pass on to someone else if you've not if you've not been in the position to have it consistently and how many colleges have goalkeeper coaches? How many um, youth clubs have, co- have have goalkeeper coaches? So it's just kind of funnel, right? If you're a kid who just played goalkeeper, went to college, but didn't have a, go- a consistent goalkeeper coach at college, how much education formally do you have to be able to pass that knowledge on technically, tactically, psychologically to another goalkeeper? Um, you might know it, but you might not be able to... Um, pass it on appropriately for their learning needs, et cetera. So that's kind of where formal education comes in to help you kind of hone that in a little bit, but it's hard to come by when it's not available.
0: The other thing you mentioned was going from 10 to 20 keepers to 75. How in the world do you run sessions with that many? Do you break them up into smaller groups? What, what does that look like? Because of course, goalkeeping is such an, I don't want to say an individual kind of, spot but it is a very individualistic so how do you deal with such large groups how does a goalkeeper coach deal with that
1: so first of all um dividing them by ability age and um the level they're currently playing at so our ec our goalkeepers will practice together competitive goalkeepers like heartland which is a local league division one goalkeepers will practice together etc kind of goes down that route Age, age age and ability comes into it abilities more assessment based that will take a couple of weeks before you can move people around into groups um hiring good goalkeeper coaches to be able to kind of pass on my methodology and what i wanted for a club methodology so i i i brought on ian hodge he uh, was a division one goalkeeper phenomenal phenomenal coach um i'd been through the level of being a youth goalkeeper level, being a good level of a um being a division one college goalkeeper started off at a division three school ended up at a division one school um so he was brilliant for, to bring on board with me Kaylin williams um in my opinion i think you know one of the one of the best um young goalkeeper coaches around in, in the Kansas City area right now um she played um at, played for Vlad Grandinowski so the US women's head coach at the club level in Kansas city Um, ended up then going to Eastern Michigan and playing there for four years, had a phenomenal career at Eastern Michigan, came back because played semi-professionally and professionally in other countries. Um, And she was just hungry to coach, hungry to learn. Um, And she came over to work with me and and she's done a phenomenal job. Um, And then I had a couple of other coaches here and there as well, but those two specifically, We had meetings, we got on the same page, we agreed on the methodology, we agreed on how we were going to educate, how we were going to coach. Ratio of goalkeeper coach to goalkeepers was really, really important. Um, I think when you go past one and eight to 10 with goalkeeping specifically, really difficult to get your message across because uh, you can't really be specific to individuals Cause there's just so many and technique is so broad and, and uh, inconsistencies. It's really hard to catch them when you have so many goalkeepers. So we tried to keep our ratio down. That was really important. So when we did that, you know, our, our biggest session, we had, you know, 31 goalkeepers or so, 32 goalkeepers in one hour block, we would divide them up and we would have eight to nine per coach. Um, so what we would typically do would, we would run, if we were doing a specific exercise on a, on a specific topic, we would do a, a, um, a kind of a – I don't know what the best way to put it is a, – a master demo um, where we would have you know specific – I would pick out specific goalkeepers to run the demo, uh, and then we would split off into our groups. And then, then the coaches can um, focus on ability and level and maybe tweak the exercise to that ability and, and, and level that they're working with. And that's how we would typically do it. So we ran goalkeeping year-round. Um, which was the first as well. Um, again, because when it comes back to club um, club politics as such, is if you're paying for an indoor space for goalkeepers, those kids are not paying extra money for goalkeeping. So, who's funding the paying for that indoor space? Mm-hmm. That comes into it. Fortunately, um, the Casey Athletics who I was working with were really, really, um, really, really good about understanding why we needed to make sure we're doing consistent goalkeeper training. So they took care of the space. They've got a space, um, enough room to work with that many goalkeepers. And that was consistent um, output from the club, which is a really good place to be when you have a club on the same wavelength as you. So
0: here you are. It's not like you have an amazing staff. You're crushing it. Director of goalkeeping. What then becomes, what's the next step in your your coaching journey um, at that point?
1: So I ended up um, – I was doing my U.S. – I've done my license over the FA back home in England, and then I started my on the U.S. route as well. I was doing the U.S. Um, D license um, with a phenomenal group of coaches. Um, we had the we had the, I'm trying to remember now. Um, a couple of NIA schools in Kansas City had their assistants on it and the head coaches on it, uh, Division one schools. Um, I'm trying to remember – names right now names are eluding me but um there were some great great um coaches that were kind of pursuing the the u.s route right now so i was on that course coming to the end of it it was going great and then um the head coach of the local nia school mid-american nazarene um actually my wife's alma mater as well um they were on the course with me and we just got chatting and they were looking for someone to come do goalkeeper coaching i wasn't looking into work in college I didn't have the time at the time and, and I was busy with a full-time job and and club and everything like that and um, it just kind of happened um, they were just like you know we want someone to come down you know once twice a week work with the goalkeepers I was like sure yeah I think I can make it work yeah we'll try it out um, got down there my um, and I was like you know what this is this is this is gonna be great um, I'm gonna go all in so if you asked anybody else there, they would probably think I was full-time. Um, I was, um, you know, making it work. So I was basically full-time. So I was there every single night, every single day. I was at training after work. Um, and then had two phenomenal goalkeepers there, um, Kaylee and, and, and Pilar, and um, two different goalkeepers. Um, one was an American kid from Vegas who um, played a really good level at ECNL um, and then obviously ended up um Mid-America. And another goalkeeper was um, came from Spain, a different type of goalkeeping. Um, so they were just a fun group of goalkeepers to work with. And it was a fun group of players. So um, we had a phenomenal first year. Um, they just got a new head coach, Bryce McClanahan, who's still there now. Um, and another assistant who had never coached college before, Alvi, um, and myself. So the three of us were like, OK, let's let's see what we can do here. So we had a we had a great year. First year was um, we had a phenomenal year in conference. Um, did really, we we ended up missing out on the regular season um, conference championship by a, a loss, just one loss, lost as a title. Um, went to nationals for the first time in four years um, to the opening round, um, and it was just a great year. Um, Kaylee, my goalkeeper, was our starter. Won uh, player of the week I think five times that season. Um, one national player of the week as well. Um, hadn't played a game the year before in her sophomore year. Uh, sorry, in her freshman year. Didn't play a single game. Um, got to her sophomore year, was was became a starter, and just had a breakout phenomenal year. Um, with an understudy and a freshman in Pila who was, uh, and is a phenomenal goalkeeper. Um, so it just kind of worked out. And the group of players we had there were great. Um, they were a we ended up going from not being ranked consistently to being ranked nearly every single week in the top 25 in the country. Um, and it was just a, it was just a, that 2019 year was just a great year. Um, it really was. Um, and then I just kept working at that. I got into ODP in 2020 um, with Kansas Usocker, Um with uh, their DLC, Paul Fabry, who uh, was awesome. Um, Paul met with me for coffee and, You know, wanted to get me involved in ODP I wanted to be involved in ODP I kind of knew a little bit about ODP and Paul was changing the way ODP ran in Kansas to make it more uh, consistent more prominent more a stepping stone for players versus a just go if you want to go but you don't have to go sort of thing like it's not really going to help you he wanted to make it into a stepping stone for players um, for development so Got involved, Andy, who I mentioned before, who runs Union Dirty goalkeeping, he was um, also doing ODP with goalkeepers, so me and him just got chatting and we kind of started doing ODP goalkeepers together, and that was great. Um, And yeah, this thing kind of spiraled a little bit, and and, and in a really good way, coaching college, coaching ODP, had a full-time job, you know, running camps and and, um, managing over a quarter million dollars in business um like it, you know that side of it was one thing and then coaching and everything like that and it was and then I inherited a 05 um girls team as well uh, which kind of came on top of that, which actually um was just great um I only had I only ended up having them for a season um it was awesome. We ended up in division one um as a brand new team um was a tough tough division to play in had a really good year, um, won Missouri President's Cup um, with nobody thinking that we were, you know, President's Cup is great and that nobody thinking we were going to even get to the, the, the regional, um, <clears throat> sorry, get to the, um, the quarterfinals, anything like that. So we won President's Cup for regionals with a brand new team. That was great. Um, that was a different facet of me challenging myself a little bit and in, in running a team myself um I'm kind of going through that those steps as well um and yeah so that kind of spiraled over a couple of years and then um ended up I hadn't coached a team on on my own um for a couple of years because I was coaching at the college level in England and had a team at my old college um and kind of stopped coaching a team for a little while to focus on goalkeeping um I just wanted to kind of pour myself into that a little bit and then um that group that group i, I had uh with case athletics with the old fives was which they were great um great group of girls um great parents um kids who were committed who wanted to learn who wanted to be better um and that team's you know ended up having players progress into the ecnl team um so we were one under the ecnl team so um had players progressing to the ecnl team that team is plays awesome. you know most of them are still playing now um that was kind of the plan I was going to carry on working with them and kind of building that team up. And then, uh, Jan, uh, not January, well, January into February, et cetera. Uh, last year, um, I got into a conversation with Illinois state, um, after just applying for a job and that kind of snowballed into, um, Illinois state offering me a position, uh, in March last year. And I was like, okay, whoa, this is going to be different to the opportunity to move from Kansas city, which we've been home for eight years, leave kind of everything I know, uh, everything I know, my wife knows, our family knows, our dogs know um, kind of, you know, I have two dogs. I talk about them all the time. Um, but yeah, so that was a big step for us and um, to do that. And for me, it was want to be challenged. I want to push myself. I want to be in this next step environment. I want to, around the staff at Illinois State and and, and they were great. Head coach Brad Sylvie um, fantastic coach, great human being Um, I felt like he was someone I could connect with and someone I think I could work really well with um, and he could challenge me to be better Um, and then Rihanna Cruz, who's the assistant um, who's um, a phenomenal coach a, um, a person who has a heart on their sleeve and Um, is just completely invested in um, soccer and completely invested in Illinois State soccer because she was a player here. Um, And it was just a great... For me, it was a great next step. So I had to step away from ODP, from my club, from um, my team, from uh, college there, from my day job, from private sessions I did with kids um, to kind of take that step. And it it was difficult. It was hard, Um, but it was... um, the next step I had to kind of make that decision with my wife that we felt like it was going to be the next step.
0: One of the things you mentioned earlier about the two keepers um, at the college being different, one from like Vegas and one from Spain, what, what is, what were the differences about them?
1: Um, Well, first of all, their training environments have been completely different um, to, there is a style of coaching. I'm going to say like, you're going to have a, a way of coaching that a lot of american coaches will coach um and 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 that's very broad to say that because there's so many different styles of goalkeeping and so many different styles of coaching um but her environment was different versus a goalkeeper brought up in spain very different environment and i'm saying that from a tactical standpoint from a technical standpoint and from where the emphasis is on those two pieces like what are you going to overemphasize technically and tactically in a environment in Spain versus what are you going to technically and tactically emphasize in in an environment in the U S. So that was the big differences. Um, um, Ability of distribution, big difference. Um, Ability in shot stopping, decision-making holding onto the ball, not holding onto the ball, dealing with crosses, all these pieces were just a little bit different. So um, I had an interesting conversation with um, the assistant at Ku uh, a couple of months ago, Kelly Miller, who's a fantastic, another fantastic coach. Um, who always we had a really good conversation. We were talking about um, he he typically has about four goalkeepers on his roster, and uh, I hope Kelly doesn't mind me mentioning this, but we were talking about um, just different types of goalkeepers and how that kind of ties into. A, the division one environment and for him it was his style of goalkeeping was Ali you know my two goalkeepers that get the majority of minutes they train together and then the other two that are not quite getting as many minutes they train separately because um for him four different types of goalkeepers in one environment was just so different it was so hard to get the coaching element consistently to those goalkeepers so he decided that it was better for him to have two of them training at the start of the practice, and the other two are with the team, and then they switch, so that he could be more honed in on their style of goalkeeping and what they were doing versus trying to change them into fit, you know, trying to fit a um, trying to fit a square in a circle. Basically, um, it just didn't work. So I found that really intriguing. That that's the way he took that um, with having that many goalkeepers and, and also having that many different styles of goalkeeping.
0: The one thing you mentioned about the coaches that you're with now, hard on their sleeve, will challenge you. Um, not even like mentions of tactics or really good at, you know, the coaching side, how important is, are those types of um, like character traits of being passionate about, you know, Illinois state and being able to challenge one another and hold people accountable and all that when it comes to building a staff and a program?
1: every head coach is different um every head coach's opinion is different um i think i've learned that been around a couple of different head coaches um i think it's important that i think at any level whether you're working with a three-year-old you're working with a 19 year old to working with a pro um i think as a coach in my opinion you have to show that you're passionate you have to show you're invested um me personally, I am constantly smiling because hey, I'm pretty lucky. I'm doing what I love to do every single day. And I and I and I know that. I, I, I own the fact that I get to do my favorite thing in the world all the time. Um, the other piece is I feel like passion is infectious to the environment, and I think the environment is everything, um, especially at the college level. Um, it the environment informs culture. In, it informs team chemistry it informs um, technical and tactical performance on the field the environment is everything and I think having the right people to inform that environment and keep that environment accountable um, is really really important so um you know with that said that I want to make sure my goalkeepers know that I am pumped up for them i'm hyping them up i am you know my goalkeepers will say this off the bat right now like I am constantly buzzing and smiling and and, and, and hyping them up in training and games because I'm their advocate as a goalkeeper coach. And, you know, if you watch any of my... Um, I post a lot of my training videos on on Instagram. And if you watch that, you'll hear me shouting or screaming or, like, just going, what a save, or et cetera, hyping them up as much as I can because it helps their confidence, helps their environment, helps their, um, their mentality as a goalkeeper. And I think that can be translated at any level. Um, you know, when you've got a... Eight-year-old goalkeeper um, who is just starting off trying to trying out this thing where you've got to put on he or she's got to put on gloves and got to stop up ball going past him. Um, you've got to find find a way to give them confidence when goals going, goals going, goals going. You've got to find a way to, and one way is to do it through passion. Show them that you care, show them that um, you're gonna be happy for them, you're gonna be sad for them, you're gonna be um invested in them you know whether you work with them for a week whether you work with them for 10 years that leaves an impression on on people and the same way passionate coaches left impressions on me I still took their values forward and in, in, in what I do in my coaching so John Shields is also one of my mentors like him saying 10 minutes early and 10 minutes late is something that's passionate to him about timekeeping and being organized and being structured that that led on to my coaching and the way I coach um, another guy Andy Smith was the academy coach at Manchester United now works for Manchester City um, he um, every Friday I was with him kind of learning to coach he'd teach me a new move um, and he would tell me every week that I had a week to learn the move and I had to learn it he'll uh, give me a different one and that just kind of brought into me a sense of being creative in what I do, and always never stopping learning and never stopping wanting to learn. Um, and I'm a goalkeeper, but I'm I like juggling, I like messing around with moves, I like being challenged and trying to do a new skill. That that's just you know the creative side of my mind is is is, is really important to me. I think it definitely helps inform the way I structure my sessions, the way I have to get creative when. You thought you were going to have four goalkeepers at training. You only have one. Um, You know, you you have to kind of manipulate things and and be able to make things work um, and be creative in the way uh, your sessions run. Um, That definitely helps. And then, um, yeah, just uh, a whole host of other coaches that kind of informed me. And that came from passion. It came from people loving what they were doing. So Rihanna does that all the time. She's just cast heartlessly and loves it. Um Brad's the same, very much so in terms of he loves he, he's loves soccer, loves football, loves um, loves the game, wants to, you know. And it comes from silly things like you've got five minutes before training is about to start. Let's just quickly go and play crossbar challenge and see who wins. Um, or you're trying to nutmeg someone during training and you know they've got to do two push-ups and um little 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 tidbits like that kind of inform that environment and kind of help with the passion and kind of help with um keeping things alive and, and keeping things buzzing so I mean I, I always joke to the girls that in the state. I always joke to them because um I'm notorious for trying to nutmeg people um, and I always I always have a laugh with them about this because now every time I walk past them with a ball they flinch or they'll move they'll try and close their legs and I was like, that's what I wanted. I wanted the fear that you knew I was going to make you, but I won't do it, but you just got the fear of it. But that's just funny. And it's passion. is just like, just kind of getting into those little bits of soccer. So we always have a good, a good laugh about that. Now they, they're constantly trying to get me back all the time. And when they do, you should hear them cheer because they're just, and again, it informs a passion. Um, you know, that's just one of the ways I look at it anyway.
0: The other thing you talked about was the move from Kansas in Missouri up to where you are now, you left your wife's alma mater, the dogs you mentioned, how, how important were those conversations with your wife about making this move to Illinois state and kind of re moving the whole family to where they are now?
1: Um, it was, it was, I mean, for me, like for me, my wife, it was, um, she knows I love what I do. She knows I'm, you know, she knows I'm so invested. She's watched me you know come home late at 11 o'clock and plan sessions and, and be out the door by 7 a.m or leave to get to a practice an hour early because I want to make sure things are correct and you know all these other little tidbits and stuff and I'm very fortunate she's been so supportive of me um, And the same way you know my wife my wife's a, she's, a, she's a nurse. she works in the ER. She works harder than anybody I know. Um she it loves what she does because she helps people. Um could I do what she does? No way. Um she is in that place and, and 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 I think that's relatable in the support and in helping people. Um the importance of as a human being being able to impact others. I think that's my calling as a person, is um I want to be able to impact people the same way people are impacting me growing up um and for my wife it was just having conversations about is this right for my career is it right for what I want to be able to achieve is it right for us as a family that would we be able to make this work would we be able to make these sacrifices to the sacrifices of change to make this work and it's not been easy um it, it's been difficult You know you know her family is still in Kansas City so um, it's been difficult, and um, we've we've had bumps. We've had highs and lows, and and, and we've been communicating and, and working on things and getting better at um, having understanding is really important, I think, in any marriage, in any relationship. Um, so she's been amazing to support me the way she has.
0: And then I want to go full circle. We, yep. At the beginning of your journey, Mama Bear was like, I'm not sure if this is the direction I want you to go in terms of playing, uh, broken wrist, all that. You go and start taking classes that go in toward coaching without mom knowing. Here you are at a, you know, a large campus doing your thing, loving it. You got a wife, dogs, all that good stuff. What is how excited is mom now for where you're <laughs> at?
1: Um she never liked the fact that I'm away from she's still home, but this is home now and, and that sort of thing. But my mom came around and I was very fortunate that my mom and I have a twin sister as well. Who's pursuing her own passions, completely opposite to what I do. Uh, my, my sister, she she's a film editor. So she worked for movies and TV shows and stuff like that. And again, not really a career choice that a, from a cultural standpoint is taken upon. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she came around to understand this. She came around to um, get it and, and understood this. What makes me happy, and um, she kind of got to that point where she was like, she understood that this makes me happy. She might, my mom probably never quite understand soccer, not quite ever understand the tactics, the coaching, and all that other stuff. For her, the most important thing was: Are you happy? Are you enjoying it? Yeah, yeah, okay. That's that's all you know. She needs to know. Um, her biggest thing was. <laughs> Before I did anything else, I had to make sure I got my degree. I had to be the first person in my family to, to get a bachelor's, and that's what I did. So I got my degree from Manchester Metropolitan University in England um, in coaching and sports development. It um, was a um, difficult three years at university because I was still trying to juggle a lot, and um, university was good, but I you know, found areas of it tough like anybody does. Um but, yeah, it was it was a kind of yeah, full circle moment, I suppose. Uh, my mom's still not been over to the U.S. yet. So, you know, eight, eight, nine years later, she's still not been over here yet. So that's something we're hopefully going to correct in the next uh, couple of you know months to a year or so. We're going to be able to change that. She doesn't like hot weather. So, you know, when you're in Kansas, especially when it's getting up to 100, 405 in the summers, it's not a place to be.
0: Well, I would say now being where you are in, in Illinois, a little bit cooler.
1: Yeah. Um, right now it's the forties. Um, so it's, it's not, it's probably more like England than anything else um, with the rain that we keep having and the wind and everything else, but no, it's, it's it comes on full circle. And, and and for me, the kind of next steps to that was always going to be from a, from a cultural standpoint, being able to inform more kids of a South Asian heritage that this was a avenue that they could pursue. Um it definitely has grown phenomenally in England. Um, I know just recently, the first ever um, coach of South Asian heritage was on staff with an, uh, with the England national team, and um, so that that was a big milestone um, from a from an underrepresented group um, in coaching, um, and that kind of that's a really really good milestone. Um, I still think that. People could broaden their horizons and and looking out at the US as an option, going to other countries as an option to to kind of push their coaching boundaries. That's something that's still been pursued. Um, But the flip side to it is as much as you want to advocate for your heritage and, and for your culture and for, you know, what you've grown up in it's hard to find the balance sometimes and also focusing on what you want to achieve and not have that as a, not has, not have that as a, a thing in the background. Like I don't want to be known as a Pakistani coach. I don't want to be known as a, um, a South Asian coach. I want to be known as a, as a coach. I want to be known as, um, as, as Ali, as, as, as a, as a coach. Um, period, regardless of anything else, you know, being British, being like any of those things, I want to be known as, as a coach. Um, and I still remember a long time ago, um, an old, old, um, an old friend of mine told me uh, who was an academy coach at Manchester United, Louis, um, who's been at United for a really long time. Louis used to tell me that um, I had to make a decision if I was going to be a goalkeeper coach, if I was going to be a field coach. And I I always used to go back at him with that, and I used to say I think I could do both. I, could, I think I could figure it out and, and be able to be equally as um, equally as knowledgeable and equally as, as effective in both roles. Um, and, and that's why I wanted to do so. When I when I kind of got into the college game, I wanted to be known. And a lot and a lot of goalkeeper coaches feel like this that like they don't want to be pigeonholed as a goalkeeper coach. You want to be known as an assistant coach who also works with the goalkeepers is very good at working with the goalkeepers, but you can also contribute to other parties of the program. Um, some goalkeeper coaches might feel differently. They might just want to be okay with just being a goalkeeper coach. And that's completely fine. In my opinion, I want to be able to be a bit more broader in what I do as a coach.
0: Ali, this has been such an awesome chat. If people want to follow along with you and connect, you mentioned putting videos on Instagram and what have you, yeah. what are some ways that people can connect and follow your journey? At Illinois State,
1: yeah. So um, on Instagram, my handle is Coach Ali H, um, just one word. Um, and on there, kind of, I'm always posting. Um, I'll post my, the session I've done based on you know, periodization, etc. The session I'm doing, I'll actually kind of break. I like breaking it down because I get feedback from other goalkeeper coaches. I get feedback from goalkeepers. I get feedback that helps inform my coaching. Um, I get challenged. And why I do things which is great as a coach I want to be challenged to for me to completely understand why I did something or get perspective to why I might be changing something um but I'll break down the session and I'll say what I did in my activation in my warm-up what I did in my uh unannounced part of my practice the technical part of the practice um so the announced part of the practice the live part of the practice like kind of what I did and why I did it and then at the bottom of that kind of blurb I'll put down um any kind of thoughts I had on the session, questions. Um, I try my best to take to, to my goalkeepers. But one thing I do right now and I've got really consistent with is I build up my session plan and then I'll put it at the field of my goalkeepers so my goalkeepers can have a look at the session before they jump into the session. So they have an idea of what's gonna, what the, what we're working on, what's going to happen, how things are going to work. Um, they're a bit more informed and I think that's important. Um. With that being said, that gives them a chance to kind of process and then ask me questions. Um and then challenge me too. Like to so saying I like, hey coach, like um, I like that exercise, but I think we could have changed it to maybe make it more focused towards this piece or this team that we're playing that they might be really good at um getting the ball to the byline and cutting it back, which is what we're doing this week. We're doing a lot of cutback sessions. Um so that's really good. Like um um, my two goalkeepers I've got right now um, are really really good about asking those questions and they want to be as informed as possible so that's really really good from the environment I'm trying to create is I want them to be able to be comfortable to be able to challenge me and ask questions versus do this doesn't matter how what it means I like, just do it because that's the way I said I'd, I'm not I've, I walked away from outside of coaching a while ago because I didn't want that to be drill sergeant like do this exercise the way it is like for me it was i want there to be a full understanding um i've started doing it with my youth goalkeepers too that's been interesting because some of them you know the younger ones might not quite understand a session plan or what things look like so it is good to start kind of talking them through the why of why you know we know what we're doing and we know you know what it means and what it's kind of uh, what topic is leading on to but why are we doing that why do we save the ball the way we do why do we step out when we're supposed to step out, like right? getting the why behind it's really important. So I'm trying to paint that picture on Instagram as much as I can. to kind of why I'm doing the goalkeeping the way I'm doing it. Um, and then I've got a couple of people that um, always reach out consistently to kind of talk. So my buddy Adam Lewis, who's the uh, assistant on the men's side at SMU in Texas, um, extremely good program. Um, me and Adam constantly go back and forth about sessions. Uh, literally, our text chain on our phone is literally session plans videos mm-hmm. challenging each other like so he he makes me better as a coach um and then there's a couple of others as well um that I've talked to about sessions and stuff over the years and um, Darren McLeod who's the um USL assistant with Sporting Kansas City um ex-USL goalkeeper phenomenal goalkeeper um phenomenal coach up-and-coming coach um Ali Lipshire assistant at LMU right now was with NWSL Kansas City and, and previously with Minnesota. Um, Jordan Bell, who's the director of goalkeeping down at Florida Elite Academy, uh, one of the biggest clubs in Florida. Um, to name a few um, goalkeeper coaches that I've had conversations with and challenge and and kind of go back and forth with. And then obviously the whole community with the United Goalkeeping um, Alliance as well, kind of, you know, that, that kind of, that WhatsApp group. When someone says something, blows up in um, people going back and forth about sessions and, and, and goalkeepers and stuff so that's kind of cool cool to be part of that community
0: i love this because i think it's hopefully it's going to connect even more um keepers coaches etc that are out there that can follow you and then get connected to some of these other great coaches and that community that you mentioned this has been awesome and i'm going to shut this thing down this is Karen with coaches corner chats with ali Hanif. i'm out peace Today's episode is brought to you by FitAid, vitamins you'll enjoy drinking. Visit LifeAidBevCo.com and check out their awesome products. FitAid, supplement your lifestyle.